to Finding New Films. My name is Hunter Harris, and I am back here today with uh, a familiar face. Um, welcome, Chris, back to the show. Hello. Um, today, we talked about a movie that Chris picked, which was Walkabout. Um, what was your, uh, you know, inspiration behind this pick? Right, so I just kind of was looking at actors, you know, just seeing, like, I don't even remember what film it was, but just looking at films, who was in it, and then I kind of just went on a little rabbit hole until I got to, like, a lot of these Australian movies, mm-hmm. and the actor that plays Black Boy in this movie, his filmography showed up, and I just saw this movie on the list, and I, a lot of the reviews are really good, so I'm like, you know, this sounds really interesting. I've never really seen many movies set in Australia or Australian cinema in general, and it just sounded like a really interesting film. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. Um, my uh, my one of my best friends growing up was from Australia, and his dad was a cinephile, so he would constantly try to show me movies and stuff. Um, I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, but uh, basically, uh, I've seen a lot of movies that mm-hmm. are set in not a lot. I've seen a good amount of movies set in Australia, um, but I've I thought I had seen this movie, but I hadn't. Um, he's shown me another movie that heavily deals with, like, indigenous tribes, mm-hmm. um, or aboriginal tribes specifically, um, but it was a different movie. But I, I don't know why I just said that. That was not important at all. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I thought I had seen this movie before, is what I said that for, um, but I hadn't. Um, in the movie that I'm talking about, the aboriginal people paint themselves blue, and they're oh. like attacking it's set like in the 1800s when the the whites are first getting there gotcha. um and they are basically just attacking them because it's like why are you here now yeah um as one would but uh yeah i i was really interested to see this movie after i read the synopsis you sent me like a a 10 movie list yeah get let me pick one uh and it was between this and uh, Mishimi? Mish- Mishima. Mishima. Life of Four Chapters. Yeah. Uh, a Paul Schrader movie, which we might do later on, so yep. who knows. Um, but let's just jump into it. Uh, Walkabout was released in 1971. It was released by Max L. Rab Productions, as well as C. Lit- Litvinoff Film Production. Um... And then it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Uh, its rights were sold. Um, runtime on this movie was right at 100 minutes. The writer of this movie was Edward Bond. Uh, and the writer uh, had adapted this film from the book originally called The Children. And after this film was released, it was renamed Walkabout. Um, the director and cinematographer on this movie was Nicholas Rogue. It's either Rogue or Roeg, I'm not sure. Um, the editors on this film were Anthony Gibbs and Alan Alan Patillo. Uh, and the music was done by John Barry. And then the stars of this film, uh, were Ginny A. Gutter as Girl, Luke Rogue, um, who was, um, credited as Lucian John. Uh, he plays White Boy, uh, and then David Gilpilly, uh, who is, for some reason, credited as David Gumpilly, uh, he plays Black Boy, 
Uh, and, and that's actually kind of the theme in this movie. Half the people in the movie are credited under incorrect names. Yeah. Um, so the father was played by John uh, Melon. I don't know who father would be because girl's husband is another character. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, John Illingsworth uh, plays girl's husband. Um, Robert McDara uh, had his name spelled wrong in the credits. He plays man. And then Peter Carver, who was credited as Pete Carver, uh, he played no hoper. And then we have Hilary Bamberger as the father's wife. And then I'm guessing that's the two people that had the uh, the statues, like they yeah, were like selling probably. Aboriginal statues. Um, and then I have Barry Donnelly as the Aussie scientist, and then I have Noeline Brown, who also had her name spelled incorrectly, as a German scientist. And then we have Carlo Mancini as the Italian scientist. Had a pretty interesting Which, scene in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that was. We'll get to that. Yeah, not about that one. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to read the plot real quick, and we will get on with it. All right, <clears throat> so here we go. Uh, so a white teenage girl and her younger brother live with their parents in a modest high-rise apartment in Sydney. One day their father drives them into the outback, still in their school uniforms, ostensibly for a picnic. As they prepare to eat, the father draws a gun and begins firing at the children. The boy believes it to be a game, but the daughter realizes her father is attempting to murder them and flees with her brother, <laughs> seeking shelter behind rocks. She watches as her father sets their car on fire and shoots himself in the head. The girl conceals the suicide from her brother, retrieves some of the picnic food, and leads him away from the scene, attempting to walk home through the desert. By the middle of the day, they are weak and the boy can barely walk. Uh, discovering an oasis with a small water hole and a fruit tree, they spend the day playing, bathing, and resting. By the next morning, the water has dried up. They are discovered by an aboriginal boy. He does not speak English, much to the girl's frustration, but her brother mimes their needs for water, and the newcomer cheerfully shows them how to draw it from the drying bed of the oasis. The, tree tra sorry, the three travel together, uh, with the aboriginal boy sharing kangaroo meat as he caught from... Sorry, that he has caught from hunting. The boys learn to communicate to some extent using words from each other's languages and gestures. The girl makes no such attempts. While in the vicinity of a plantation, a white woman walks past the aboriginal boy who simply ignores her when she speaks to them. She appears to see the other children, but they do not see her, and they continue on their journey. The children also discover a weather balloon belonging to a nearby research team working in the desert. After drawing markings on a, of a modern-style house, the aboriginal boy eventually leads them to an abandoned farm and takes the small boy to a nearby road. The aboriginal boy hunts down a water buffalo and is wrestling it to the ground when two white hunters appear on a truck and nearly run him over. He watches in shock as they wantonly shoot every single buffalo with a rifle. Uh, the boy then returns to the farm, but passes without speaking. Um, later, the aboriginal boy lies in, lies in a trance among a slew of buffalo bones, having painted himself in ceremonial markings. He returns to the farmhouse, catching the undressing girl by surprise, and initiates a courtship ritual, performing a dance in front of her. Although he dances outside all day and into the night, until he becomes exhausted, she is frightened and hides from him and he tells her brother that they will leave without him the next day. In the morning, after they dress in their school uniforms, the brother takes her to the aboriginal boy's body hanging in a tree. 
Showing little emotion, girl wipes ants from the dead boy's chest hiking up the road. The siblings find a nearby deserted mining town where a, surely, uh, a surly employee directs them towards nearby accommodation. Years later, a man arrives home from work as they now adult. Sorry, as the now adult girl prepares the dinner. While he embraces her and relates office relays office gossip, she either imagines or remembers a time where she and her brother and the Aboriginal boy are playing and swimming naked in a billabong in the outback. And that is it. Nope. <laughs> and as right as abruptly as the movie did. Um. And then while we're here, we'll go ahead and do the themes. We've got chaos and order, children, circle of life, coming of age, communication, darkness and light, uh, evils of humanity, family, friendship, happiness, heritage, humanity and uh, sorry, human nature, loss of innocence, man versus nature, natural beauty, perseverance, social construct, travel, and xenophobia. But uh, yeah. That was Walkabout, 1971. So, <laughs> anyway, what were your thoughts after the movie? So, um, I mean, there was a lot of thoughts. Right. Um, the movie doesn't really tell you much. Like, there's not much speaking in this movie. Most of it is through images. Um, not like that it's hard to decipher, but it definitely, you know, takes some time. But like, like, what did you just watch? Um... Like he's like he said with the themes, like there's a lot of themes of the colonialism of Australia, the relationship with nature, the relationship with youth. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting was how they kind of juxtaposed like the Aboriginals' relationship with nature, killing for food, killing for survival, and like kind of like hand in hand showing that with like the meat packing and like you know meat cutting or like the industrial city just good like juxtaposition there i agree i I really thought that was striking um in a in a really uh in a really real way it was a it was a really really interesting way of doing it Mm -hmm. and i thought it was a good way of um giving a real perspective to the meat the meat packing industry and um just given the fact that, like, they're given no regard to the animal's life. Right. Um, and no no real work or respect was put into that animal's life. Yeah. Um, Especially that scene near the end where, you know, Black Boy almost gets run over by the Jeep and yeah. they're just killing for sport, basically. Yeah. Just popping every single one. Yeah. And um, they killed all that. Yeah. And I just want to say, animals were frequently harmed during the filming of this yeah. movie. Yeah. Animals um, were definitely harmed. In yeah, this so movie. if if you are um, watching this to gauge your interest and you cannot handle watching an animal get hurt, definitely avoid this movie. Yeah. Um, because you will not like it. I am not so squeamish towards death and things like that, probably because of the internet. Um, not to say that people weren't squeamish towards death or right. not squeamish towards death prior to the internet. Nevertheless, um, a lot of animals were harmed uh, making this movie. Um, not tortured, but they they definitely died. Yeah. Um, 
So definitely be aware of that. And then also I want to say another trigger warning uh, for self-harm and suicide. Uh, and attempted murder. So, yeah. Yep. I guess you could you could trigger warning attempted murder for every movie, though, I think. That's like every single yeah. movie. It's a pretty common theme. Um, but moving on from that... Uh, yeah, um, I just love the way that they have Australian culture like at the forefront of this movie. Oh, yeah. I we had talked about it off camera just a second ago, but the um, the movie was adapted from a book that is set in America, where American children are crash land a plane, and then they are shown the way by an American indigenous child, and this American indigenous child then. Um, gets influenza from these children and dies and that is the story of walk about the book um i really enjoy how they switched it to the australian culture right. and tying it into the walk about um that they explain at the very beginning of the movie yeah um the movie basically like pops up with that paragraph at the beginning and it basically tells you this is a coming of age story yeah <laughs> uh this which, is what a walkabout is. Expect that. Don't yeah. don't worry about the rest of it. And it's really cool because you think that you're going to get the walkabout from the indigenous perspective, but you truly get the walkabout of three people. Yeah. It's meant for the indigenous kid, right? Um, the aboriginal kid. But I think they all eventually have their own walkabout. Yep. They all have their journey, their you know relationships with each other. Um, it's all different. Um, one thing I wanted to say about this movie is it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The cinematography, I mean, you know, the director is a cinematographer. It's pretty, it's pretty gorgeous. Like the way they shoot the outback, they shoot different parts of Australia, the way they shoot the animals. Um, I mean, yeah, there is a, uh, there was a article I was reading right before he got here and it was, um, it was from a famous film critic, and he basically had said that this was a, a cavalcade of lizards or something like yeah. that. I thought it was really cool. But I think the the striking images of, like, the outback and um, its terrain, its, uh, its wildlife, it helped um, really just put you in the, in the, the feeling of the, the yeah. whole outback in general. And I think it also helps with, like, really grasping some of the themes of, like, you know, comparing this to, like, the more industrialized Western modern world that's coming in compared to, like, the beauty and, like, even the hardships of, like, you know, the environment around them. Yeah. And where the aboriginals are living and everything. Um, the vastness of, yeah. of their environment. Too. Yeah. I mean, there's so much desert. So yeah. the outback's really big. It's massive. It's like two thirds of the country. Yeah. Um, and then some of the shots of like the animals, I'm like, how did you even get this? Is like National Geographic yeah. or something. Yeah, I don't know, man. They had that one shot of the, uh, I think it was a, um, a Komodo dragon that was eating a lizard. Yeah. That was really cool. That was a cool shot. Um, there was another the, shot where they had one of those. Uh, People love that video from Planet Earth 2 of that lizard getting away from all those um, yeah. all those snakes. One of those was in there. 
I think the most striking image in the whole movie is after they meet the Aboriginal boy. When he wakes up, it's a sunrise, and he's kind of like in a crane stance, yeah. like in a shot, like beautiful. I really like that one. I have another one too, um, where he interloped the sun, interlooped the sun with. Um, it was the sun, and then it turns into an anamorphic lens shot of a. Uh, I don't know what those trees are called, but one of the like squiggly looking savanna yeah, yeah, type yeah. trees, uh, and it was like. It just like perfectly turned into it, and I think they were laying in cradle position on the mm-hmm. on the ground underneath. It just it seamlessly transitioned. Um, as much as we can give credit to cinematography, the the way this film is edited too yeah. is absolutely incredible. Um, it needed two editors to get this perfect, so and they got it pretty damn close. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out in the end. As far as visually is concerned, they they got it pretty damn close to perfect. Um, there's a good child acting performance in here, too. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, nothing stood out as, like, bad. And usually yeah. that's pretty damn good for a child acting performance. Yeah, it was the director's kid, too. Yeah, even more surprising that it was good. Yeah, right. You know, he, he was good. He did good. Um, Again, there wasn't much dialogue for them to work with, but, I mean, just, like, physical acting is just hard. And I mean, there was plenty of that. Like, yeah. The way they kind of conveyed themselves. There wasn't... One thing I will say, like, especially near the end when, like, their dad tries to kill them. Yeah. Like, afterwards, like, the girl's pretty chill about everything. Yeah. But, I mean, and I think it is kind of like, you know, you want to be strong for your brother, but, like, also it's like, it's also not really what this movie is about. Like, I think that it does play a major part in the movie, but it's kind of like just getting to where they need to be to yeah. really tell the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah, and you can tell he was not really concerned with getting there with the collage like yeah. that they put right at the beginning of the movie. It's basically like this girl lives here, this boy lives here, this guy lives here. Yeah. They all know each other. They live together. See, you just called him dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's yeah. and then they're like now they're in the desert. Yeah. Now the movie is starting. Yeah. The dad just nonchalantly grabs like it's the scene where they see an airplane passing by. The little boy has a little water gun. He's just like, bang, bang, bang. And then the dad just shoots at him. Uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely, it, it had this feeling, it had a super feel of realism. But then there was these other points of time where it felt like so unrealistic that it yeah. was kind of like take you out of it for a second. It, like, um, there was that one stretch of scene where they are, where he's telling the story and there's like the storybook. Yep. Pages are turning over. That that was a little gimmicky for me, yeah. um, but I think I do enjoy it. The movie was definitely kind of like it had like a dreamy feel to it in stretches. Yeah, especially like the second act of the movie. Basically, once they meet up with the Aboriginal boy and they're just going along on their adventure. Basically, you know. Yeah, I, this is like if Disney didn't make um, the Jungle Book. Yeah. It's, that's, like, this really does, it's just, Disney, if they hadn't made the Jungle Book, if 20th Century Fox was, had that property under their name, that's what this wouldn't be. Yep. Um, I, I'm convinced of it. Um, I also want to, since we were talking about the shooting, uh, why did he not walk, like, like he didn't chase them at all? Right. He I was, was just like, bang, 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 coming out. 
<laughs> I wonder if it was just like I mean, they don't really explain anything about the dad. No. I mean, we see the only other time other than after he's shooting them and kills himself that we see him is like his dead body and like a bunch of aboriginals come and find the car. Yeah. And his body's just hanging in like a bush while yeah. they're just like in the car and stuff. And I mean, they had to move it. Yeah. So I had written down that, that I, sh- I thought that that was really nice. Uh, well, I don't know about nice, but it yeah. was a, I thought it was a really uh, interesting way to show like the difference in how they treat life and death. Right. Um, so they, they really don't give much yeah. like information as to why the dad is doing this. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could say, I mean, maybe if you brought him out there. He thought it was more humane just to kill them than to let them just die in the desert. But like, even then, it's like, why are you bringing them there in the first place? Yeah. It really doesn't make much sense. It's like, like why? It, was, like, we don't know enough to know his motivations. I was just interested on your perspective on that because my thought about it is, is like, if you're gonna be selfish enough to take your own life uh, when you have like yeah. children, why you gonna um, take them with you? Why do you have to take them with you? And then if you're not gonna take them with you. Yeah, like, even take them with you in the car. You yeah. Know? Like, like, take them to the spot in general. Because it seems like he was dead set on them dying because he also didn't yeah. burn the car down. Yeah, like... Their only method of escape other than... Gasoline Alley by Rod Stewart in the background was... Yeah, exactly. ...pretty crazy. Uh, <laughs> it turned dark really quickly. Yeah. Um, just a nice little picnic and then... Yeah, it was wild. I It was a good scene in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely jarring, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If you're going to be that calculated about killing yourself and killing your family, um, maybe, like, don't leave them in the desert to die or just don't take them in general. Yeah. Also, um, dude, bad shot. Yeah, for real. It's stormtrooper-ass aim. Yeah. I think a lot of, like, Going back to like talking about like the scenery and stuff, even like some of the the sound design, like sound effects and like the way they were talking, it almost felt like a different planet. Like yeah. I felt like I was watching like a, a sci like a sci fi movie on Mars or something at some point. Yeah. He did talk about them taking him to Mars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did have that noted where it kind of felt like a storybook movie, and I guess that's what I mean by it felt like the Jungle Book. Right. Just not Disney. Um, and I also, we also talked about it before, but I, it feels like the, like, tone and overall mood is kind of in line with Life is Beautiful. Yeah. The 2000, the Italian movie, um, where it's like, we all know that they're in a concentration camp, but we're kind of seeing the movie from the kid's perspective. Yeah. Well, I guess not. We see it from a much more omniscient perspective in that movie. But. It's like innocence in the face of, like, massive... Yeah. Horror, yeah. You're still able to smile yeah. and laugh at the movie itself, like in the in the face of the yeah very obvious traumatic experiences going on. Um, yeah, I thought that was good. And then there's the amount of flies in this movie gives me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, oh, and the maggots. Oh, oh my god, I felt my was, entire body crawl. It was gross. I was my skin was definitely crawling. Mm-hmm. Um. They had the this one scene was really interestingly cut where they finally found the vista and it was cutting the dad's suicide 
back into the the scenes. So like they were sitting in the vista, and then an image of he asked about a big red nose, and his oh, dad popped up. Yeah. And then another image popped up, and it was like him with his like brains blown out. I thought that was really interesting. Of like she's finally. Like, the adrenaline, I feel like, has worn off, and, like, she is finally, like, processing, with, yeah, yeah, coping and processing with what she saw, and, um, I love it. I don't know. I yeah. really liked the, the touch of that. There was a lot of, like, intercutting in this movie, where it's, like, kind of overlaying one scene on top of another. Yeah. With the editing or whatnot. Like, there was a lot of that in this movie, and a lot of it was done really well. I know, if you do it wrong, it can look really cheesy or really yeah. bad but i think all this done pretty pretty well here yeah i do too other than like what you said like the little storybook page turn was a little yeah. a little little like gimmicky yeah I, I i appreciate the in 1971 this is like that's cutting like or not cutting edge but that's like pushing the boundaries yeah. of what filmmaking can be and editing can be and I appreciate the 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 attempt, but I don't know that it worked out yeah. well for me. And I think it a little bit took me out of the movie. It, it gave me like five minutes where I kind of checked out. The movie um, something else I wanted to mention. Sorry, um, can, it kind of has like a timeless feeling to it. Like it doesn't feel like a '70s movie or like an old movie. Like it just felt like it had a very timeless feeling to it. Yeah, it really did. This is right in the hyper, um, the right in the eh, kind of like past it, but right near the beginning of the realism aspect of movies, like right. the super realism. Um, right, because that came around like 1968 ish. Yeah, but this movie, this movie pushed it forward real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking on that, there's a there's an old Bengali movie I watched uh, from '59. Patra Panchali is part of the Apu trilogy from Satyajit Rai. Um, parts of this movie definitely reminded me of that. I think Patra Panchali kind of leans more into that. Like, so they called it in Bengal the parallelism movement or the parallel movement, um, and that was inspired by like Italian realism. Um, I think that one kind of lead more into like the realism aspect of like how they filmed it and like the story that they were telling. But it was another adventure of like coming of age, but like kind of dark in some aspects. And just like the definitely the mashing of like the colonialism and industrialism coming into like what's like feels so simple in like these villages or like in nature in general. Right. Parts of that kind of reminded me of each other. Yeah. That's cool, man. I gotta check that out. What was it called? It's called Pater Panchali. It's part of, like, it's a... Saiji Rai is, like, one of the biggest filmmakers in Indian history. And this was, like, his... For, like, this was what launched him into, like, the world stage. I think it won some awards at Con, at Con that year. I'll send it to you later, though. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I gotta say, it also reminded me of a 50s movie um, from the Australian mm-hmm. that I had uh, mentioned earlier. He showed me the movie Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, yeah. A little bit of that. Mm-hmm. A little bit of the nature vibes, obviously, you know, in the uh, the feeling of uh, from the main characters of, like, 
um, the dissension of the old world and an ascension of a newer world right um type of vibe but we got like 20 seconds so i need to go to the break um so we'll be right back um we're back um we're gonna finish this up really quick not really quick i don't know how quick we're gonna do it but <laughs> yeah but uh we're gonna get it done um and i'm just gonna start it off um it's this is a very quick one that really uh, zoomed in shot where they then they do the zoom out and you can't even see them in like walking anymore and then there's just a yes bad shot oh my god that was yeah. I loved that that, that was, was really, incredible yeah so basically it was just them walking in the desert it's super close up and then the camera just zooms out and it's like you can see they were filming it's, from it's, super far away you it's literally so can't, sudden. yeah it's, it's very quick you literally can't even see them walking anymore because of the vastness of the outback and then it sh it just gives you such a wild perspective you know if you had any doubts of like well they're just being stupid walking back into the desert and it's like no nah, there's nowhere to go yeah <laughs> there's quite literally nowhere else for them to go yeah um I thought that was great. And the establishing shots, like, using the anamorphic lens and, like, showing so many shots of how vast it is really, like, pounds home. Like, yeah, they are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They um, are, by all intents and purposes, like, screwed. They and they should be dead. Yeah. Um, but the fact that this person has so much knowledge of what we now consider an old world uh, that's like the only reason they're alive because yeah. he knows how to hunt and kill, survive. hunt and cook game, yeah, and survive in the wilderness. Yeah. So, um, yeah, super, super great movie about perspective. Uh, Roger Ebert actually said about this movie that on the surface you see it, uh, you may see it as a movie about like uh, the modern world enveloping the the old world, but he sees it as just a a movie about communication yeah i could see um, that and i thought that was pretty profound so i wanted to bring that up um yeah just yeah. a super majestic movie really yeah. enjoyed it it was this movie really takes advantage of its establishing shots like i said some of the establishing shots are the most like the best looking parts of the movie either the background or the animals and it also really does like set the scene where you're in where you're like the vastness of the outback or just being within the nature as the industrial world encroaches more and more yeah but the thing is about their their you know uh habitat is it's not really going to ever get enveloped yeah by the natural world or the by unnatural the world yeah um <laughs> nobody's so, going to go out there yeah it's so unlivable comparatively yeah. and it's hard to even build out there too so interesting and then i i this is one of the this kind of pounds the the whole theme and idea of the movie home and my idea or in my mind at least um the contrasting shots of white boy being shown how to have fun climbing a tree by the indigenous kid uh and having that contrasted with all of the, the aboriginal kids playing inside the car yeah and they're experiencing something they've never experienced before and how like they both 
I don't know. I don't want to say encroach on each other's lives. Yeah. But, but interconnect, maybe. Yeah. There you go. Where the their lives intersect in some way, and it's weird how the car is such an oddity yeah. for this group of people, and yet a tree is an oddity for it, and it kind of makes you like realize that like white boy may be living a disillusioned life. Yeah. That a tree is such a revelation for him. Right. Um, and I feel like that does more for per the perspective of the movie than any establishing shot can do. Um, and I, I just really enjoy the, the theme and the idea that this movie is, is sewing of like, what is, un- what is natural and unnatural, yeah. truly. Like, define those words for me. And a lot of times, what is considered unnatural or natural is many times in a colonizer's point of view. Right. So, um, you know, this movie bringing that to the forefront and helping people understand that and understand, uh, well, not maybe understand that, just yeah. showing them that and they can come to their own conclusions about how they feel. But uh, I took that in, in the way that I just explained. And... I really appreciated. If that's not what they're saying, then yeah. that's whatever. But that's what I took away from it. And I really appreciate right, it. Right, right. I I would say, like I can, I definitely was feeling that as well. Um, trying to put it into words, like yeah, the movie was. It almost like so both sides with your point it was almost like a fish out of water kind of like you know experiencing these two different worlds right and you know they juxtaposed it they connected it um a lot of the movie i think was centered around like just these two different worlds and like you said natural unnatural industrial environmental you know whatever you want to say um and because we really don't see many characters from these two different worlds interact other than like the little like statues and stuff right yeah and then even in that it's seen it's the white people taking advantage of exactly of, of the indigenous tribe and so you yeah. know some sort of exploitation right it's it's there's no seamless uh interjection of each other into each other's cultures mm-hmm. and it's i think their cultures are almost so different that they almost I don't know that they can't, because that's just not, yeah. that's just pessimistic. But um, it feels so like neither of them are willing to try to accept the other side, right? Um, which they don't need to, but uh, living in a harmony would probably be a lot easier than yeah being than, at living, odds. than living in complete isolation from one another. Yep. But um. I don't know. I think the I think the line I think he's gonna take us to Mars has a lot more symbolism than I want to think. I don't know. I mean, it is just like you said, it's so alien to each other. You know, like these concepts. It really does feel like. I mean, even the fact he thinks his art looks alien. Yeah. So I mean, and he's trying to court her at the end, which, reading the synopsis, apparently he was dead. He was. Apparently, oh, I I did not interpret him as dead in the yeah. In the, I thought he was just. I thought he really was just 
I thought he was I thought he was becoming one with the tree. Or like just being silent, you know, like Yeah, I thought he was just like uh hurt because yeah. she didn't accept right. him. Yeah. I okay, well that changes things. That could just be the person who wrote that synopsis yeah. perspective of it. Because I think I think because they never show you a anything and they're not like oh he's dead like yeah. they mention like oh no i think he's dead the kid mentions it but yeah. like i think there's i don't know maybe i'm just in denial but yeah i want to i want to think there is a way that they they just presume him is dead and he's not yeah i hope so i would but then again yeah. she did touch him like unprovoked and he just had no reaction to that's it. true yeah wiping like flicking yeah. the flies off yeah, so, I don't know. R.I.P. So I yeah. So I have a random thought. Yeah. Near the beginning of the movie, before they meet Black Boy, there she's like, "Yeah, Uncle said you should eat salt in the in the desert to stay alive." And I'm like, "Is that true? That doesn't sound right." <laughs> she said she said that when he was in the war. The war. Yeah. So that was probably just what they were saying. Yeah. It's probably just like them being like, "Yeah, we ain't got no food, so if you just eat salt." Because I'm like, that sounds good. like the absolute worst thing you could do in this moment with no water. I think uh, this is probably this is entirely speculation on my. Yeah. I th- I remember hearing that salt takes away your appetite. It takes away like the feeling of appetite. Yeah. If you just eat straight salt. Um. I mean, yeah, it could be that. I want to look that up. And normally I'll have a computer, but I have switched over to the paper method. So, um, Going old I school. Can't, yeah, I went old school. But uh, I, I want to say it's salt. It just takes away appetite feeling. Yeah, maybe. But maybe. I also don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to imagine it's something. Like, yeah. They didn't just, just come up with that other yeah, thing out. Yeah, just figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I imagine that, too. Um, <laughs> I have a quote here from the movie. One of the radio scenes, the guy goes, that, that is, is. The, yeah. I yep. hate that so much. <laughs> that, that, it, that, 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 English that is. English sucks so yeah. bad. It was three thats in a row. Yeah. That, that is, is. It's like. Ugh, God. No, I think it was that 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 is or something like that. That that is. Because it's three. It was three. That 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 is. Wow. Either way, that's crazy. Yeah. English sucks either way. Yeah. Two that's three that's doesn't matter. It's that's that's horrible. Fix that shit. <laughs> uh, Somebody needs to stop. The one thing, I have one super negative about this movie. Um, the sexual undertone um, and the odd amount of nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really was not needed in any way. In my personal opinion, I, I just don't feel like it really added anything. I didn't need to see a little boy naked. Yeah. I didn't need to see Especially a 16-year-old girl naked. Given the age of the characters, yeah. I didn't need to... I didn't need to see anybody naked in this like, movie. It was not worth it. Just trying to think, like, what they were thinking, maybe. Maybe it's, like, just going back to the naturalness to, yeah, and innocent. You know. But, like, still, it's, like, 
do you really need to show that? Not. No. Yeah, and I think it's also just the fact. Well, I want, I want to call out my own thing here. It's like, you know, the Aboriginal kid was naked the whole movie. But yeah. do I notice it? No, that's his culture. But right. her culture is to cover, and so when she's not covered, it seems unnatural to me. And yeah. so maybe doing that is also attacking my, even mm. me, my own personal thing. Right. Uh, of being like, well, how is this unnatural? Because she, because yeah. this, the Aboriginal people walk around naked, and you don't bat an eye to it. Yeah. Because there is that scene where the all the adults, I mean, none of the women are wearing cover ups on their uh, on their tops or anything like that. Right. So, That's true. You know, it's probably doing that to provoke that reaction and attack that Western mindset of mine. But yeah. Um, also. You just get like a twenty-year-old actor. Yeah, can you not? <laughs> like, can you at least fuck. like not make them underage? Why? Why did she have to be sixteen? Um, I just want to say the actress has gone actor. I hate. That's mm. horrible. I shouldn't do that. The actor has gone on. Jenny A. Gutter has gone on to say that she does not regret filming scenes, uh, and that there was no crew on set for this at all. They they didn't have a crew. It was, oh. <laughs> Nicholas Rogue has said that he, they just walked around Australia and mm-hmm. whatever they saw, they, they filmed it. Wow. That's how they filmed this movie. Very rogue filmmaking. A rogue film, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought of that right after I said his name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he definitely embodies his name, uh-huh. uh, or at least what his name sounds like. And, Another? uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, so they, they just walked around Australia and filmed yeah. this stuff. And so the only person that was present in that first scene where she's swimming um, in the in the billabong is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just the director. It's just him. And he was, like, off in the distance. You know, he wasn't even... I don't want to make it seem like it's, it's okay because yeah. he wasn't staring. But, like, you know, they also... Was that Bobby Lee? Sorry, Pineapple Express is on. But, uh, yeah, I just saw Kevin Bacon. That was Bobby Lee. <laughs> not, it's Bobby Lee. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, so she swung around in the billabong, and yeah, it's it, it was a really odd scene that I don't, I don't really understand. She said the only thing that has made her feel weird about the scene in the in the coming years has been the internet reception like the inter- since the internet has come on and people have repurposed the scene for being like for sexual use that's been her biggest yeah. issue with the scene um so stop sexualizing a young girl yeah don't know don't. why that had to come out of my mouth but please just just don't no. do it yeah but yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to say another scene that I'm struggling to understand was the scene with like the scientists and the weather balloon and they're just exactly ogling there. this lady. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why we needed to see this woman get eyed. It literally felt like it would be something in like Pineapple Express. Yeah, and I, and I want to I want to try to play my devil's advocate right. in my own perspective here and maybe that could also be shown to be like like westernized men you know gawk at women and like they have created this air of like uh naughtiness for lack of a better word uh within women of like 
since you have them covered up, men like constantly are gawking and just like that. And you know, with the Aboriginal women, they're not wearing you know cover up on the top half of their body, and so that's not a, a thing right. in Aboriginal culture. That would never be a thing. They wouldn't even think twice about it. So again, it's probably just attacking that yeah. perspective of it, but it didn't have to be. I don't know. I I guess more. You my could point. have you could have thrown more shade on yeah. the people doing it, yeah. but it felt so whimsical that it almost felt like it was encouraged. The men were being encouraged. To do yeah. So. And then it was like a oh darn it, like yeah. when she didn't pull her tits out or something. Yeah. Like that was that was my biggest thing with it. Yeah, my thing was just like. I'm, this scene feels so out of place, you know? Because the only mention we see, like, the weather balloons, at least, at all, is when the kids find them. Yeah. I would say, I, the thing is, too, with it, I would I would give even Pineapple Express so much respect to say that it wouldn't even show up in that movie. It would yeah. show up in, like, Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. You know? Like, that That was my biggest thing. It was, like, it was less than... It, it felt like... It was a less yeah. than a reputable comedy scene. Yeah. Like, like a bad Adam Sandler movie yeah. comedy scene. Beer Pong was, USA. Yeah, Beer Pong USA-esque comedy scene. Yeah. And that was that was the biggest Even problem. the sound effects made it feel like yeah. comedy. Ooh. ooh, ooh. Like, hubba hubba. Yeah, right. <laughs> um... Yeah. Yeah. Heavy pivot. You get to see a bull's jugular vein get cut. Uh, a water buffalo. Yeah, you do. That was intense. Brutal. I didn't need to see that, I don't think. Or I didn't want to see that. But it uh, happened. But it happened. I haven't watched it. <laughs> um, I really enjoy the reaction to when they actually finally make it to the town and that guy has a grass in his yard and has a lawn and the sprinkler spouts out and they like sit there for a second and they just stare at the sprinkler. Yeah. Because they're like they have a newfound perspective on water. Right. Um I enjoyed that a lot. And just like the going further in the scene, the nonchalantness of this man reacting to these two kids saying, we've been lost, we've been yeah, lost. like, we need help, please help it's us. Like, and hey, like, don't pick that up, the company's gonna get mad at you. I can't lose my job. That's so funny. Yeah, just kind of like, yeah, putting a job over a life or death situation for other people yeah. kind of like highlights just the self-obsessed nature of our current society. Because like, where they end up going is like a company town for a mine that's like been shut down. Yeah. Um, and then they just kind of mull around in that mine for a little bit and shoot the shit and yeah. break things. Again, you can kind of take it back to, like, industrialized world versus, yeah. That and it being, like, urban decay, you know. Yeah, it was also, all decrepit. Yeah, and then that also being, like, another, that's even another scene of, uh, like, colonizer mm -hmm. type of thing, you know, where they're just like, well... Land's no good anymore. I'm gonna leave all this shit here. Yep. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just gross. Um, and then I have my last note here. I, it says she tried so hard to chase society because it's all she had ever known, and she thought that's what made her happy, but when she's in society, all she can do is daydream. 
of a simpler time. Yeah. Despite all the trauma inflicted in that. It's kind of just, you know, like, not really, but, like, a little bit of, like, you know, the grass is always greener. Um, You have, like, just nostalgia because it really was, like, how we as the audience felt like this childlike, dreamlike adventure almost. Even those, you almost forget that, like, why they're out there and, like, how yeah. horrific it is what actually happened at the beginning. Yeah. And it's kind of just becomes like an adventure movie almost, you know? Just watching these three bond travel. Yeah. And, then, and that's almost how she views it at the end, you know, like looking back at it. Yeah. Despite all the trauma involved. Just an adventure. Just a little fun. Just, just some fun time. Yeah. It could also be just, you know, being within the society that she was trying to get back to and how easy it is to just, like, lose that sense of innocence that we kind of talked about, like, comparatively to, like, being in the nature, being in, like, the environment, compared to, like, being in the Western society. Yeah. I agree. She definitely was at odds by the end of the movie and didn't know (laughs) what she loved more. Yeah. And then her husband's like, you good? She's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be alright. She won't be alright. No. But, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's throw this thing on the list. Um, do you have any extra thoughts or anything before we... I'm trying to think. Um, just, man, some of the shots they got of these animals, I'm like, how long do they have to wait for that? Like, bugs burrowing out of the sand, or finding these lizards or birds, like... I did forget about that. They did have a lot of, uh... Some really cool bug shots. Yeah. The scorpion sounded so loud we were just walking around. <laughs> they also had that one. Was that the... I might be getting this one mixed up. They have the spider scene too, right? That was near the end, yeah. Okay, yeah. That was separate. Yeah. I, I, Shrey is I got, scary. Yeah. I would be scared to go anywhere near that continent. <laughs> everything wants so to kill you. Or everything has the possibility of killing you. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't, I don't blame my friend from my childhood for coming over. Nope. Because it is, it is gruesome over there. And then they had the dingo show up too, trying to eat that chicken. Yeah. Dingoes suck. There was that oh, little... Oh, that dingo out here. Do you remember the animal that just like kind of like shows up and sniffs the little boy when they're at the the oasis when they fall asleep? Yes. What was, was it? It's like a wombat or something? I don't know animal names, but... Uh, they look kind of cute. I don't know. I think it's marsupial. Yeah. Just some kind. Just trotting around, finds him and just leaves him. <laughs> just like, I'm not going to eat you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what would you give this movie? I would probably give this movie an 8 out of 10. I just feel like, you know, there were some things where it was like, maybe I didn't understand enough, but the things that it did, want, the things that it set out to do, it did. Yeah. Right? And it, it did those things effectively. And I think it was still a good story and a good, it was less almost about the story and just about like watching these people and like seeing, it's, because there isn't much dialogue either. It's really just like you interpreting these symbols and these ad- Things that are happening on screen. It's more visual. It's very visually focused. Mm-hmm. And it's very visually pleasing. Yes, it is. Um, 
I watched a movie like that for Salt Tapes this past week, Paris, Texas. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Same kind of thing. Where it's like, I, nothing is going on in this movie. You know, they have much more dialogue, obviously, yeah. in that movie. Uh, and But I feel generally you get more from the feel of the movie and just watching the characters interact with each it's other. It's all about the vibes. All about the vibes. And I love those kinds of movies. I do, too. Except Blade Runner. I don't. I didn't. <laughs> the twenty forty nine. I like the, the original. The original. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Discussion for another day. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I gave this movie a seven point nine. Um, so we're right on right yeah. on page with that. So this gets a fifteen point nine. Uh, and I don't actually know where that puts it. Uh, but it's gonna be pretty high up there. It looks like it's gonna... Oh, 12? I, I need to fix my thingies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so we got... It will be... It's gonna be right next to the last movie we did. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be right above Fear and Loathing, but I need to fix the numbers. I don't know why they're so off. Um... We have too many ties on here, honestly. I think that's oh. what it is. Yeah. That's why I started doing points, because I wanted to start setting these movies apart from each other. It's like, right. They can't all be eights, you know? Um, but I'll fix that later. But it'll go right above Fear and Loathing. I'm just trying to get a better idea of where exactly it's going to go. Um, so where does it start messing up? Looks like right Loving Vincent and Lahine. Yeah. So it looks like that'll be eight. Lahine will be nine. Ten. And then ten will be Gone Girl. And then Clerks and Pearl will also be ten. So then Psycho would be, be eleven still. And then that would be twelve. So it'll be number twelve. Yeah. Number 12 out of now 29 films. So, pretty high up there, genuinely. And my computer has given up. Um, but I don't need it anymore. Uh, thank you so much for watching this episode of Finding New Films. Uh, this has been <laughs> Walkabout 1971. I want to thank Chris for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Chris will definitely be back. Um, so be on the lookout for Chris when he comes back. Uh, be on the lookout, too, for, I just mentioned, it, Finding News Films self-tapes, also known as FNF self-tapes. Uh, I did Paris, Texas this past weekend, and then, well, sorry, I did Paris, Texas last week, and then this comes out. Uh, a week after I'm filming this right now. So, on Monday this past week, Love and Basketball will be the film. And then next week, yikes, I don't have the movie in front of me, so we're not going to say that anymore. Be on the lookout for that. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I actually can have it up in a second. Uh, Go watch the second episode of The Basement Tapes. Me and Trevor uh, have released the second episode of that. Uh, If you want to check that out, uh, I really have a lot of fun making that podcast with Trevor. 
we're very sarcastic on there and we're just kind of trying to make as many jokes as we can. Um, and then we also had another episode of Greg and Jeff Give the Hi-Hat come out this past Sunday. Um, and we have one coming out this upcoming Sunday. So those come out Sunday at midnight. Be on the lookout for those. Um, and then for self-tapes, I've got it pulled up. I'm doing Blue Velvet Ooh. by David Lynch. So I actually got a really good uh, stretch of movies coming up here on uh, self-tapes. It's Blue Velvet, then Clueless. And then okay. I'm doing Brigsby Bear, uh, which is... Well, kind of a low-key independent movie, but then... That's the one with Kyle Moody? Yes. Uh, he wrote that movie, too. Wow. Um, and then I'm doing American Psycho and then Quiz Show. So, got a pretty cool five-movie stretch coming. Six-movie stretch with Love and Basketball, too. Coming with uh, FNF self-tapes. And then I actually don't know what's on Finding New Films next week, so I gotta figure that out. Uh, go follow us on Instagram. Uh, subscribe on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. Follow us on your podcasting platform if you're listening to this on a podcasting platform. Uh, like the video, comment on the video, leave us any thoughts you have. Uh, appreciate anything you guys have to say. And then uh, share it with your friends. That's it. Thank you so much and good night.